Okay, so chapter one, um, understanding the digital forensic profession and investigations. Uh, chapter one is kind of, uh, it seems like a lot. Um, like it touches on different things, different subjects. Um, kind of has a lot of terms in it. Um, so if you guys have questions on anything, like, you know, just raise your hand. Um, but we'll, we'll just start to, to kind of go through it and see what we're talking about here. There we go. So, um, digital forensic, kind of the definition, the formal definition of what it means, uh, what it entails, the application of computer science and investigative procedures for a legal purpose involving analysis of digital evidence after proper search, authority, after proper search authority, chain of custody, validation with mathematics, use of validated tools, repeatability, reporting, and possible expert presentation. All right, so that's kind of like the really technical definition of uh, digital forensic, kind of what it entails. Um, there may be, you know, parts of this that you won't be involved in. Um, there may be parts that you only work <coughs> in. Like it's a it's a it's a field to where like it doesn't entail that you necessarily have to know everything. Like there are certain people who are just good, you know, at finding data, and that's kind of what they would do: just search a hard drive and find the data. As far as the being, you know, going to court and being an expert, you know, witness, they wouldn't do that part just because they're that's not what they want to do or they're not good at it. Um, so it's it has different areas and different pockets that you know maybe you will fall into. And just kind of you know stay there if you you know are interested or wanted to do that um, like validating tools to make sure that all the tools that are being used are you know validated and that they actually work the way that they should work. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to you know be an expert in all these different areas, but of course like you can. There's nothing stopping you from you know being good at all those areas so that you can accommodate you know any case or any need because you know and familiar with everything. So. Um, uh, so in October 2012, ISO standard uh, digital forensic was ratified. Um, and so that was basically uh, just kind of a general kind of standard that was emphasized and kind of put in place, um, dealing with forensics and law enforcement and how uh, different law enforcement officers were kind of categorized or what they can do and what they can do and kind of what they know and what they don't know, um, which... I think it's on my next slide. Um, so the FRE, Federal Rules of Evidence, was created to ensure consistency in federal proceedings, signed uh, in law in 1973. Um, and so these are like different groups that kind of came along at, um, through, the, through the years of the course of forensics. Um, these different groups are created, and they're basically created to try and provide some consistency uh, with what's going on. So that it's not just people um, basing and kind of acting and doing things how they feel um, based off of, you know, their knowledge. But it's like, you know, you want to have some standards, some laws in place so that people are all doing things the same exact way, doing things the correct way. All right, so that's what these different groups um, kind of became involved in and formed uh, to be able to have some consistency in the field of forensics. All right. um, so the FBI um, formed, like I said, the CART group, and then the CART formed Department of Defense Computer Forensic Laboratory, DCFL, um, came about in the late 90s. <clears throat> Are you guys familiar with the Fourth Amendment? Search and seizure. Search and seizure. And what, is that, what does that mean? What does it mean? Yeah. Oh, you have a, you have a certain right to privacy, okay? And, and no one can just walk up to you and search you for no reason. Definitely, definitely. So that's pretty much what it means. Um, it protects your right to privacy as far as search, um, as far as the police just coming up wanting to search you or wanting to search your vehicle, your house. Um, they need permission, they need warrants and able to, to do that, all right? Um, how do, do you guys know how law enforcement kind of works around that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> 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 doing it. Okay. Calum, what are you going Probable cause. Okay, so they do it around that. Search what? Warrant. Search warrant. Okay, but that's getting permission. Yeah. How do they do it? Like kind of without permission, in a sense. They just do it. They just do it. Okay. 
Connor? I know that like if they knock on your door and they say, oh, can we come in? That's you giving them permission. So they'll do that. Definitely. Definitely. Anything that's like you can view without moving things is counted as evidence. Yeah. WWB. <laughs> WWB? Yeah, you guys like three letter acronyms, right? What? Walking while black. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so, <laughs> one of the ways, like I say, they, they kind of work around um, the Fourth Amendment is they, they ask you questions. They just ask you, like, you know, would you mind if I do this? Would you mind stepping out of the car? Would you mind opening the trunk? Would you mind letting me see? And like I said, they're in a position of, you know, authority and power. So most people feel like, you know, saying no, like, is in a sense bad and causes problems because, you know, they're law enforcement. We're supposed to, you know, obey in a sense and kind of, you know, do what they're asking us to do. Um, so that's kind of their way of like, they'll, they'll phrase the question, they'll phrase it as a question. And you, you like, you know, yeah, you know, once you say yeah or, you know, open the door, step out of the car, you're basically kind of consenting and giving them permission to to go about, you know, their their search. Um, so that's just kind of one of the, the things that they do. Um, like I say, try and phrase things um, in a way where it's not like, you know, they're not asking for consent to search your car necessarily, but they're asking a question that's going to allow you to provide them consent to search, you know, whatever they're trying to do. All right. Um, so the Fourth Amendment uh, to the U.S. Constitution protects everyone's right to be secure from search and seizure. Um, and so search warrant, separate search warrant might not be necessary for digital evidence. So in digital evidence, um, it depends on the case, depends on, you know, what it is that, you know, was found or that you're looking for. Um, let's say you're working a drug case, right, and you're searching hard drive looking for, you know, evidence of drugs or traces of, you know, that drugs were being sold and things like that. If you come across another file dealing with, um, say, pornography, like child pornography, then seeing that doesn't give you the right to go and start a whole new investigation dealing with child pornography. You have to go back and get another search warrant to go down that route. Um, so that's what it's talking about. In, in a lot of cases, um, if you find something that's not related to the search warrant, you would have to go back and get another search warrant to get that included in or get that to be able to go down that route. Nope. Because if you do, if you obtain it or, you know, take a picture of it, whatever you do, like it's not going to be able to be used in court because of the way that you got it. Um, so not only that, from what I listened to this morning, they said it could take the evidence that you do get. Yeah, yeah, because now it makes it seem like you know you don't follow rules, you don't follow laws, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, how it's not just important <coughs> to be able to find it, but how you find it plays a big part, right? Um, how you collect it, um, how you maintain it. Chain of custody. Right. That's the question that I wanted to ask you. Uh-huh. Uh, chain of custody, you know, I, I was hearing that all through the, you know, the tapes. Mm-hmm. Are we going to learn anything about that? Is, there, you know, is, is that something that we actually need to know about? Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's important to know about the chain of custody because that's what, that's what entails that the evidence basically followed the correct protocol and didn't go off and venture other places or someone else didn't tamper with it because there's a continuous track of where the evidence was from the time it was collected until the time it gets to the courtroom. If there's time that are not accounted for, then that gives the, the impression of, well, somebody else was doing something that they shouldn't have been doing with this evidence. That just means they sign up a piece of paper and say, okay, you have the, you have the data now. Correct. Okay. And then the next person that they handed off to, they said, you have the data now, right? Right. So there should always be an account of it, um, of where the evidence is, you know, who has it, who actually checked it out to examine it and things like that. There should always be an account of it. Um, and, that's, that's, and that's, like I say, just a major part. Um, I watched a lot of, uh, I don't know if you guys watched the show, Forensic Files. You guys watched? Huh? I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Like one or two okay. It's 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 a, it's a cool show. Um, they're like solving cases using different forensic um, techniques and things like that. 
Um, but like there was one case I saw one time where it was this guy, he was being accused of a murder um, and they collected evidence at the scene. Uh, they took some blood from him and collected evidence of the guy. Um, so the, the blood that they took is put in a valve and it's supposed to go to um, the hospital or some doctor. And so anyways, basically the, the blood was missing for two days. Nobody could find it. And then when they actually did find it, it was not the amount that they actually said that they took at the initial crime scene. So, but at the crime scene, there was like fresh blood from this victim, which was missing from the valve that they took from him. Like, so things like that, like it just looks as if, well, you took the blood and planted it at the scene because it's not the correct amount that you collected. Um, so things like that is like all kind of falls under the, the chain of custody because the defense is going to argue that all day. Like, well, what happened once it left here like, and got here? Like, who had it? You know, where, where, what has it been doing this whole time? You know, so that's, that's a big part of investigation, chain of custody. We'll, we'll talk about that a lot um, once, we, once we get there. Um, so let's go. <clears throat> All right, so investigating digital uh, devices include collecting data securely, examining suspect data to determine details, such as the or origin, the context, like who actually created the files, um, you know, what context are they in, um, and then presenting that evidence in court is another kind of huge thing. Um, because if you present it wrong, like, then that also comes across as like the evidence not being good. Um, so uh, I guess, I mean, the case that kind of comes to mind with me is like, like OJ um, with the glove, right? Like they had it as evidence, but once they presented it as, you know, to try it on, then that's when the evidence kind of looks, you know, like. Uh, yeah. Huh? It was insufficient. Right, right. So now it looks like, you know, well, if the glove is not his, then what else is not his, right? Um, or what else didn't he do that you're saying he did? Because this is clearly not, you know, doesn't even fit. It doesn't fit his hand. Right. You can't, can't put it on. Right. And then, there, you know, there's stories about, you know, why the glove didn't fit and things like that. Um, but, like I say, if you present your evidence wrong, then it can't tarnish everything that you've done. Everything that you work for can now go down the drain just because of, you know, you presenting this one piece of evidence wrong. Somebody can go free, right? Um, um, and applying applying laws to digital devices practices, you definitely want to want to know that. Um, do you guys know what the difference is between data recovery and digital forensics? Uh, Daniel. Uh, data recovery requires you to recover the information from either a locked or damaged source. So hard drive or a damaged hard drive, whereas digital forensics requires you to recover information in a more uh, criminal sense, so investigation. And they might have to do something with uh, an ongoing investigation. Kind of, kind of. Um, let's see. Jose, what would you say? Okay, okay. Definitely, definitely got some keywords in there. To me, data recovery is recovering data that's been lost or misplaced. And then the forensic is actually going in and doing investigation on the data that has been recovered and going further in detail, seeing where the data originated from, who has it been sent to. And, you know. Okay, okay, cool, cool. Uh, take one more. Um, Marvin, what would you say? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, Scott? Um, I'd just say it's like, you were just like just piggybacking off on what people said. It's like, data recovery is like, I don't know, it's like self explanatory. It's like, 
recovery of something that's been uh, lost or damaged. Whereas uh, digital forensics, you're more like digging deeper into uh, what you have and trying to make, <coughs> trying to draw conclusions from that. Okay. Is this my in the class? Yeah, <laughs> okay. Uh, Norman, you were going to say something? Okay, so <clears throat> I do data recovery all day long. Okay. But I don't have to analyze that data. I just have to get it back. And forensics to me would be the analyzation of that data to find certain things hidden, maybe hidden and or not hidden mm -hmm. in, in that data. Yeah. So Forensics will be, you know, investigating the data that you recover. You can, to do digital forensics, you definitely may have to recover the data. Right, right. Okay, first. Mm -hmm. And then after you recover the data, then the digital forensics will actually go through and, and find the bits and pieces, the ones and zeros that you need. Definitely, definitely. So all you guys are correct. You guys are all saying pieces and, and like, great points to, like, the difference between the two. Um, the main thing that I want you guys to understand the difference between the two is data recovery, you know something is there. It's something you're bringing back. You know the data was there, you're trying to bring it back. Digital forensics, you don't know if there's evidence there. You're looking, trying to find it, but you can't, you don't know that. You have to do that forensic work to find what may or may not be there. So that's the difference. Data recovery, you know something is there. You know exactly what was there, and you're trying to bring it back. Digital forensics, you don't know what's there. You're trying to piece things together and find to see if there's anything there. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's like the main, main difference that you, you, know, you want to understand and know. Um, so um, digital forensics. Uh, different from data recovery, which involves retrieving information that was deleted by mistake or lost <coughs> during a power surge or server crash. There's other ways it could be lost also. People can lose it on purpose. Um, but that's, that's the main thing there. You're trying to recover that um, and bring that back. All right, so um, as far as digital forensics is concerned, like usually in a case investigation, they're working kind of as a team. Um, they call it the investigation triad. Um, like I said, it's part of this team where you have a vulnerability, risk assessment, and risk management uh, kind of group or team. You have the network intrusion detection uh, <coughs> and incident response, and then you have the digital investigations. And kind of through that team, you're able to kind of form a better um, opinion and make a good uh, assumption on what happened. Because you're able, they're able to determine, you know, how the person actually, you know, if they went through the network, like how they got in, and they're able to kind of figure that out. And then you have kind of the, you know, you have your kind of hacker or whatever to kind of tell what they did once they actually kind of got in. Um, and then you're able, as like the forensic investigator, you're able to kind of recover things that was lost or taken or stolen or that was hidden. So like the three, you know, kind of group or team together is able to kind of figure out exactly what happened. Um, like I said, the digital investigation, you're able to, you know, recover data and figure out, you know, what was, you know, lost or what was there. But you don't necessarily know how things happened, how things occurred, you know, how um, the data moved from here to there or, you know, who had access to it. You may not know that, but like say, through the team, through the group of, you know, the uh, vulnerability threat assessment and the network intrusion, you're able to detect and figure out exactly kind of what took place. Um, so. Usually, in typical, most you know, bigger, larger corporations, companies, they have that team. Smaller companies, you, you got, probably have one person doing all three, um, trying to figure out you know, exactly what happened, what went on, how they get in. Um, it just really just depends. But typically, for most larger companies, it's best if they can able to work as a team because you have people who specialize in certain areas and they can do what they normally do. And you, you, know, you have a better, um, better, better case on your hands. <clears throat> uh, so the vulnerability and threat assessment, risk management, they test and verify the integrity of standalone workstations, network server, um, network intrusion detection. They detect intruder attacks uh, using automated tools, monitoring the firewall, the logs, right? Because anything that crosses the firewall, there's basically a log of it, and you would know, you know, who actually who it was. 
Um, so they would be able to kind of figure out all that little, you know, pieces of information to kind of put together and actually make it a case, right? So it's not just about recovering the data and finding it, but, you know, who crossed through the firewalls? How did they get in, right? All that kind of comes together through the team of, of um, investigators. And then digital investigation manages, investigation conducts forensic analysis, suspected containing evidence. All right, so it goes into kind of like a history of digital forensics. Um, we'll, we'll kind of skip over this part. And we're going to understanding case law. Um, because understanding case law, like I said, we've been talking about understanding, you know, the laws and the rules that you have to kind of follow and govern by is going to help you in your cases. All right. So existing laws can't keep up with the rate of technology change. All right, what does that mean? Technology is uh, changing. It's changing back faster than the law is Right, so there's a lot of things changing tech technologically, like there's no law for it. Um, there's a lot of you know, new technology that's being implemented, that's being used, and there's no law that kind of helps that, um, that technology or keeps it intact so that people can't do you know, certain things. Um, so that's, that's kind of what that's, what that's saying there. Um, and that's just kind of like the rate that we're moving with technology, like it's, it's moving fast. And we can't create laws fast enough to keep up with technology. Um, so when that happens, like there's, um, when statutes don't exist and case law is used, allow legal counsel to apply previous similar cases to current ones in an effort to address ambiguity in laws. So basically what they do is look at old cases. They look at previous cases. And so they see how, um, what was the effect of that, um, what was the outcome of that case. And that's what you would refer to in your kind of new situation or new case, right? So if, like I say, dealing with some new technology that's not really out and there's no law for it, the, you would look back and find older cases kind of dealing with a similar subject or topic and you're able to, how's it going? <laughs> no, you're good. Um, they don't know where their class is? Like, how do you, oh. That's what I'm saying. Huh? She was commenting when she was in the right class. Right, right. Right, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, so a lot of times they look back, look at similar cases, and see the outcome of that, and see what happened, and then they're able to apply that to newer cases. Right, so that's why it's important as an investigator to know older cases, to know what happened in previous cases because you know that they're going to try and use this case to kind of defend what they did or what they didn't do. Um, so knowing that kind of helps you um, if you're in a you know, courtroom situation, just kind of knowing what previous cases, similar cases, what was the outcome of that, you know, why that outcome occurred, it helps you better prepare for a case or for an investigation. Um, so examiners must be familiar with recent court rulings on search and seizure in electronic uh, environment. Have you guys heard of any uh, recent search and seizure uh, cases or? Okay. Okay. Well, there was that big deal with Apple where they were like with the shooter and they wanted to get into that guy's phone. Did that fall under search and seizure? Uh, would it? I think it could. Yeah, it was it was his phone. His, <coughs> his um, yeah. Um, we're we're actually going to talk about that case and kind of discuss it. Um, but I'm trying to think. Uh, would that fall under? And I think that's what they were trying to kind of argue and say, like, well, we don't know what could be there if we can't get into it. You know, it may be able to help prevent other, you know, shootings or things like that. Um, 
but yeah, that that is, I guess, one case that you could you could say. Um, there was another case I saw. Uh, I was just kind of looking up some different cases dealing with search and seizure. There was one where it was a guy. Um, he basically like stole a motorcycle, and he was driving around, and he ended up um, getting away from the police. Um, but then somebody like. Because they had like a picture of the motorcycle and everything like that, and it was kind of you know uh, out where people were looking for it, and someone actually saw the motorcycle, and it was in a driveway, um, and so basically the police officer they figured out you know um, where that house was, um, they went to the house and walked up the driveway, and it was like under a tarp, uh, the motorcycle, and they lifted up the tarp and saw that it was the stolen motorcycle, and. So then from there, they went to kind of, you know, arrest uh, and, you know, take the guy in to custody. Uh, but once it went to court, it basically came out that, like, the search and seizure also protects, like, driveways. Like, they didn't have permission to go on someone's property driveway to be able to see uh, the motorcycle under a tarp. Um, so... I believe it was someone just going into the driveway, but once they lifted up that tarp, yeah, that's where the illegal search. You see what I'm saying? Pretty much, everyone was just called during the humbug. Hey, I see the motorcycle was on here, and they just come out there and bevel to lift the tarp, but that's all that's out. They throw that out. Yeah. Your defense attorney going to eat that up all day. Right, right. They're going to spit that out right now. Yeah. Yeah, and and like I said, it was it was thrown out based off of the like because it, it ties into the law, and the law says that your driveway is part of like your your house in a sense. If it's fenced off, only if it's fenced off because it's considered open. It's considered like open to the public, like it, like where it's like your porch. Mm-hmm. If a mailman can walk up the mail in your mailbox, it's yeah. open to law enforcement. They can come in on your porch. You know what I'm saying? Because they consider it uh, open. I forget the proper terminology they use, but it's considered like, open. If it's coming, you know, but okay. if it's gated off, which means gate symbolize like this is your line. Don't cross this. This is my property. But we don't have no gate and stuff like that. It can come up on your porch. And all okay. I might have to, to, to look. I sort of, I sort of kind of remember something like that because for a long time ago, uh, people would put their mailboxes on the end of the street, so that the, you know, and put a gate there so that the mailman would have to put their mail in at the street. Yeah. I, I sort of remember something like that. I don't, I, you know, back in the day, somebody told me something like that. Yeah. That's why they, that's why they did it because you know. Gotcha, gotcha. You were going to say something? Oh, I was thinking of another, uh, an example from a, a show, actually, Breaking Bad. I don't know if anybody's ever seen it. Yeah, yeah. Where uh, he's got the duct tape over the bullet holes, and he lifts them up, and he's like, oh, I see bullet holes. So, like, there shouldn't be bullet holes if everything's fine. So that's my reason for entering gotcha. this vehicle. And he's like, well, how would you know the bullet holes were there if you hadn't removed the duct tape? Right. So he prevented himself from getting searched there. Yeah. Definitely. Good, good one. Breaking back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually just like, I know I was super far behind. I just watched it like maybe a couple months ago, like finished all of them. But it was a really good show though. No? Okay. I mean, it depends. It depends. Um, another case that I, that I saw was there was a, a guy, um, he was in a rental car and the police pulled him over. And it's weird. What they what they said in the article was like the police pulled him over because he was driving and looked suspicious, and he had his hands at ten and two. He was doing what he was supposed to be. doing. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He said he looked suspicious, and he had his hands at, at ten and two. And I actually saw uh, a news clip where it was like an officer and how he determines like what stuff's happening and it was like a missing vehicle or like stolen vehicle and um he like tracked it to this uh parking lot and there was two of that same type of car they didn't have the license plate yeah and um so they were uh, like watching the people get in their cars and stuff and he saw it and was like throw uh like two in the cars he was like oh okay 
you know, if it was your car, you wouldn't treat it like that. And then he used this turn signal when he turned out of the parking lot. And he's like, normal people don't do that. So that was his reason for pulling him over and asking him questions. Is he wow. used this turn signal? That's crazy. I mean, it was the guy, so he got it. But yeah. that reasoning is a little bit questionable. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, so in, in, the, in the article I was reading the case, um, the guy, yeah, he said he pulled him over because he looked suspicious, had his hands attended to, and he starts talking to the guy, questioning him, and uh, the guy tells him he had, like, a marijuana cigarette or something like that. And so from there, he, uh, like I say, he's in a rental car. And so then he tells the guy to step out of the car and he's going to search the car. Um, and basically, like when he got to court, like the officer was saying, because he's in a rental car and the rental car was like for his wife, um, but he was kind of on there also. Um, he's able to drive, um, but it was under initially under his wife's name. <laughs> And they were the officer was trying to say because the rental wasn't for him, like basically he doesn't have rights to the car and that he's able to search the car because the guy doesn't have rights to it. Um, but once it actually went to court, like the judge was like, like the rental agreement doesn't take away a person's rights to not be searched and, and you know, search without probable cause or reason. Um, so that case got thrown out. Although he did have, they said he had heroin and like a bulletproof vest in the car. Um, but it, it got thrown out because of the way that the officer actually, you know, handled the investigation. Um, so, like, like, it's not saying like, you know, he was wrong or, or he's that bad of a person. Um, I guess depending on how you look at it, uh, how much you get pulled over. Um, but it's, you know, just like I say, going about doing things the right way plays a big part in, you know, investigations. Um, so, you had a question, Martin, or yours? No. Okay. Just mind blown? Just, yeah, okay. Do you have any uh, experience in background? Any background in law enforcement? No background in law enforcement. Um, no, uh, one of my best friends, though, uh, from college, he's a police officer. Um, he's uh, worked like the gang unit for a long time. Uh, he's a detective now. Um, but, you know, we talk constantly. Uh, we talk a lot. I've been on a couple ride along with him. With him. Um, but, no, I don't have any, like, official background in, in law enforcement. You like that ride along? The ride along was cool. I don't know what agency it was for. It was for, like, LAPD or shit. It'd be different. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't necessarily LAPD, um, but like I say, it was cool because he was like him and his partner were explaining everything to me, like explaining why they were doing some of the things they're doing, um, what they're looking for, what they're looking at. Um, like I say, I, I'm in the back seat and riding, and they're in the front, and I just constantly see them like kind of scanning, like just looking, and I'm like, you know, what are you guys looking for? And you know, it's just like you know, we're trying to see the bad guys before they see us so that we can see how they react once they actually see us. All right, so it's like, you know, they're looking like, you know, lights of head trying to find people and see like how they react once they actually see them. Um, and like I say, it's just like they're, you know, good at it and they're able to just drive and find people. And they made a, you know, a couple of rests that night. Um, and like I say, when they, you know, pull people over. No, no, no. <laughs> No, I um No, no. Um but I say when they did like, you know, pull people over and stuff like that, once the situation was contained and everything, like they, you know, called me out and then they were like explaining like what they saw, um, why they, you know, pulled the person over, you know, what they found and, and things like that. So it was it was cool. It was a cool experience to be able to kind of you know, see that and just kind of not only see it, but understand why they do a lot of the things that they do. Um, and so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think I would really want to go that route in law enforcement. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't think I'll. Yeah. Was, was I reading the other day that uh, some of the certifications, forensic certifications, you actually, once you begin to testify, 
you know, like say, like a company hired you to, you know, find this information, but then when they take you to court, you become an officer of the court because you are, <coughs> you know, with, with some of the certifications, you know, that you have, uh-huh. that you actually become a... It, and yeah, I mean, in a sense, you're just an expert witness. Um, but I, I guess if you want to use that term, um, officer of the court, that's the only. Yeah, in that the paper I turned in, in the research when I was doing the research. Oh, okay, for the certification. For the certifications, gotcha. yeah. I, I thought I read in one of them that they said that you know, in order to to do this, you have you know, once you once you find the evidence and you go to court, mm-hmm. you can you become, you know. Or some of some of those certifications require you to have, you know, uh, law enforcement, you know, background yeah. or something. Yeah. Like yeah, definitely. Some of them, some of them certification will require that. Yeah, uh, just depend on what it is. Like everyone doesn't, but some of them do. You found one also. Yeah, more? yeah I, I found. I forget which one, but yeah, it, it says you have to have a, have some law enforcement experience. Got gotcha. you. To be qualified for that kind of certification. Got gotcha. you. So that was like a requirement in order to be able to get it. Yeah. Got gotcha. you. So, yeah. Um, all right, so then it talks about kind of to gain more knowledge um, in forensics in the field. Uh, talk about developing groups, joining groups, kind of like the meetup and stuff like that. Um, there's tons of resources out there. Um, one group that it lists is the Computer Technology Investigators Network, uh, the C10, um, which is like a huge uh, forensic investigator group. Um, they have like big conferences that you know they cost a little money, but like you can meet people and kind of learn about the field, see what's going on. Um, they have a website also you can go to kind of get some general information. Um, but that's like one of the you know groups there where you can kind of expand your knowledge uh, in forensics. Um, okay, um, so uh, digital investigation categorized into two categories. All right, public sector investigation is private sector. You guys know the difference. Um, public sector is pretty much just like everybody else, and private sector is pretty much just like privately owned businesses, corporations, where they do where they do their own investigation. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Cool. Anybody else? Or they have a private security company do it for them. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Uh. Uh, public sector is like government or law enforcement where it's not privately owned or run, whereas private sector is like a person owns that company or corporation. And you work for that person, not for the government. Definitely. Definitely. All right. So um, private government agencies um, versus, sorry. Um, No, sorry. So public is the government government agencies. Um, so like dealing with criminal cases, things like that, versus the private, which are like the companies, the private companies um, that you would be doing investigation for that way. Um, in general, with the private investigation, um, private sector, it's more so going to be dealing with like policies, like you breaking policies or breaking like the company rules or regulations. That's what that investigation would be dealing with. Public is dealing with like criminal cases, um, those type of investigations. Um, But I say private's dealing with like, you know, company, uh, maybe dealing with like some wrongful, like they fire you for a reason um, that you don't feel is, you know, appropriate or just, like that's kind of what that would fall under. Um, And it could be something small, like like say it's in a posse not to be using social media and they find out you've been on Facebook 20 minutes a day, you know, and they fire you, I wasn't on Facebook, Right, right. Definitely. Um, do you guys ever like read like your you know your contracts and things like that that you sign and agree to? I've been starting to read them more and more and more. But I always read them and I always scanned over them. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I'm starting to just to sit down and, and in depth read these contracts before I sign them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it's they getting they getting crazy with some of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're giving themselves permission to do. Exactly. Like all all the the things in that contract and everything like that is basically for them to protect them so that they can do what they need to do and want to do when they want to do it. 
That's basically what the contract says. Like, you know, I can do this. If you do this, I can do this. If you do that, um, are you okay with that? And then we normally just, yep. Yeah. Um, but that's what they use a lot of times because they have all these, you know, these little clauses and things in there that give them the right to be able to do what they want to do. Um, you know, get rid of people who are not, you know, following and, you know, obeying the kind of the rules that have been set up. Um, so it's just, if you have the time, definitely read through it, definitely look through it. Um, I remember when I first started teaching, I was talking to another teacher and he was just saying how like, you know, like read through your contract. Um, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but once I actually saw the contract, it's like, I think it's like 200 pages or something like that. And I'm like, how am I supposed to read through this? And so, like, I'm so I'm I'm still working through it. Like, whenever I find myself having some free time, I'm like, uh, let me see what it says about this subject or this topic, and just kind of work my way through it that way. But to sit down and try and read everything in one sitting, like, I know that's not gonna happen. I'm not gonna understand anything. But there is a lot of information in there, a lot of good things in there that you know that not only protect the school, but it also protects the employees also. Um, I was talking to this other teacher, and he was saying how, um, and he was talking about like basically like his department was trying to force him to do something that he didn't want to do, and he didn't feel like he was qualified to do, and they you know made it seem like well no no you have to do this because like the dean is asking you to do this, and he was like I don't know, and so he went and like looked at his contract, and in there it says like you know you don't have to do this like if the, they can't find somebody then they have to go outside or do something else. Like, you can't just force this job on somebody. So he went, printed it out, and showed, like, the dean. Also sent to, like, the vice president of the school. And they were like, oh, we didn't know that. Um, <laughs> tried to, like, you know, play it off as if, oh, okay. You know, you don't have to do it. Um, but, like, if he never did that, they would have, like, really forced this assignment on him that he really didn't want to do. Um, so just knowing that type of stuff, you know, can, can save you. You know what I mean? Can help you out. Um, so like I said, I'm, I'm still working through it myself, you know, going through trying to find things that I don't want to do. And I'm like, oh, no, nah, I don't have to. No, nah, I'm just playing. Um, but yeah, I'm still reading through it myself. Um, so uh, public sector, government agencies, um, Fourth Amendment, restrict search and seizures. Um, and then Department of Justice updates information on computer search and seizures regularly, so you can check that out. And then private sector, like I said, we focus on more policy violations. Um, I don't think we're gonna make it. Um, so when conducting public sector, you must understand the laws, um, guidelines on search and seizure, how to build a criminal case. Um, yeah, that's all generic information there. Um, criminal investigation usually begins with someone finds evidence of or witnesses a crime. So that's how an investigation will start. You see something or you know um, suspect something. Um, and then the witness or victim makes an allegation to the police. You guys know what an allegation is? Yes. Okay, so they, you know, say what they saw, write it down and all that stuff. The police will interview the complainant, write to report about the crime. Um, what's the difference between an interview and an investigation? Interview is voluntary. Interview is voluntary? Okay. <laughs> okay, what else? What's another difference? Martin, you were going to say something? Well, yeah, like they said, they interview has more because because people seem to get interview interrogation mixed up sometimes. Right. Wait, wait, are you, are you, do you mean inter interview or interrogation? What's the difference I mean, between you, the two? I mean, in your case, do you mean interview itself or interrogation? Because I don't know. Because usually investigation, then they interrogate you. That's different. So what's I would say uh, interview versus uh, interrogation. Yeah. What What's the difference? What makes one one and what makes the other? Like, so what makes an interview an interview and what makes interrogation an interrogation? Yeah, well, interrogation has more of a, it sounds more, has more of a serious connotation while interview has more of a, it's not, it's not as, it's like it's a more voluntary. It's like, it's, it's not really, you know, like hard press. Okay. I guess. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Well, most police interviews happen in the field. 
So like at that scene or at that particular place they're gonna be get your information or group investigation, you have to be Mirandized. Okay. So for an investigator, they're gonna be asking you questions regarding the case or anything that could be used in court. You have to be Mirandized, which considered investigation. Gotcha. Okay. Okay, I like that. Connor. I believe they have to read you your rights before interrogation. Okay, so one of, one of the main differences between an uh, interview um, versus investigation, I mean inter- interrogation, is in, in interrogation, they're trying to get you to admit to something. When they're talking to you, it's to get you to admit something, that you know something, that you have something, that you saw something. This is the uh, real estate? N- no, no, they're coming in shortly. Oh, okay. Yeah, Thank you. gotcha. Um, yeah, so an interrogation, they're trying to get you to admit to something. They feel like you did something and they want you to admit to it. An interview, they're trying to get information from you. Um, they're not necessarily trying to get you to admit that you, you know, were in on this or something like that. They're just trying to get information. Maybe you know somebody who was. But that's kind of, an interview is, a, is a also like a lighter setting, right? So they're, they're real friendly, um, they may, you know, talk to you with a nice tone. Interrogation, it's a little more, may seem a little more forceful, a little more stressful environment. Um, huh? Intimidating, right? Um, yeah, so it's, it's uh, yeah, have, have you guys seen the show? Uh, not first 48, it's, um, uh, I can't think of the name of it, but it's basically a show where people commit to crimes that they didn't do. No, <laughs> no not Law and Order. It's, it's, uh, I saw it on, <laughs> I saw it on Netflix. Um, it's like a series where they like these different cases and different investigations, but people are like are actually like admitting to things that they did. Where they take like a plea deal? Even though they didn't do it? No, they were. Was it a plea deal? Because I know that a lot of people, like their lawyers, will tell them, like, oh, take a plea deal so you, like, get off, even though they're innocent of the crime. Yeah. And then, so even if evidence pops up that, like, oh, they were innocent because of, like, this alibi that we didn't have before, mm-hmm. they still pleaded guilty, so they have to serve the time. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's kind of similar to that. Um, but, like, in the show, like, there was this. It was this crime that took place, this murder that took place, and it was these two younger boys, basically. Um, and they were like kind of the main suspects. And so they were being interrogated, and, um, and then the, like, the police set up like this illegal sting on them, uh, where they were recording them and sent somebody to kind of friend them and get information from them. Um, but just like they ended up like admitting to doing something like that they didn't do. Like they wasn't involved with it, they were somewhere else, but because they were trying to like kind of fit in and, and some, like those, those boys, they were trying to fit in like and be cool and so they admitted to it. There was another episode where these guys were basically like they were interviewing these kids and the like law enforcement basically like wanted all the kids to pin it on this one kid knowing that he didn't. They were all together. They were all hanging out together. It was like five of them. But they all ended up just based off of the, you know, law enforcement, the pressure from them, like being kids and, you know, they're telling them like, you know, you're going to go to jail and you're going to serve all these years and, you know, but we'll, you know, let you go if you say he did it, you know. And they were like, you know, writing down their reports and things like that and they were changing like, no, say this and say that. Um, just kind of intimidating people into doing and getting the answer and response that they want. Um, and like, I didn't, you know, you know, you hear about it, like people, you know, being in jail and doing things and the minutes and things that they didn't do. And people like, you know, I, I never did it. I didn't do it. 
but to actually like see it, like see people admit to things like they had no involvement with, it was like it's just crazy. Like it just kind of shows the, the pressure and the stress that you know law enforcement can put on you. Um, sometimes they don't let you eat, they don't let you sleep. Um, like you're in there, like as soon as they see you dozing off, they'll run in there and start asking you the same 20 questions they just asked you a couple hours ago. Um, it's it's a real stressful environment, um, which is why some people just like, man, I just want to go. Like, yeah, you know, I did it. Um, you know, or, or yeah, it, it was me. Can I go now? Can I eat? Can I, you know, and, and that's just part of that, you know, police. Uh, I mean, some of them have that mentality that, you know, interrogation with like, where we're going to break you and you're going to say you did it. And so it's just. It's it's crazy to like say to kind of see it. Um, so um, report is process management decides to start an investigation um, throughout this legal process. And the blotter is a historical database of all the previous crimes that they can kind of look back at. Um, this will be the last slide right here. Um, so the digital uh, evidence first responder. Um, so this person arrives on the scene, assesses the situation, and takes precaution to acquire and preserve the evidence. So they have the, the right, the capability to be able to you know, assess the scene, assess what's there, the information, the data that's there, and analyze and preserve that evidence. They have that right. Um, digital evidence specialists, they have the skill to analyze the data and determine when another specialist should be called in. So they have the skill to know, like, basically, I can't do this, um, or, you know, this is over my head. Let me call in, basically, a digital evidence first responder to be able to handle this situation. So they can if it's, you know, something that they can handle, but they can also call in somebody else to help them out and get the information that they need. All right. And then the last term we have is affidavit, which is a sworn statement that supports uh, support of facts about or evidence of a crime. And it must include an exhibit that supports the allegations. All right. Um, any questions on what we've kind of talked about today? Huh? Pretty straightforward. Pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, like I said, the first chapter, it really seems like really like law, real criminal justice type, you know, terms and things that we're dealing with. But that's just a big part of the forensic investigation field because you're not just searching hard drives just to find, you know, files or things like that. Like you're trying to find evidence for a case. Um, so that's why it kind of deals with law enforcement. Um, deals with knowing, you know, how to operate, how to work the courtroom and things like that. Um, so if no other questions, we will head over to the lab. We'll let the real estate in here. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to put a sign on the door. This is not real estate. <laughs>